0: You're listening to the Down at Bellevue podcast, the number one Wakefield Trinity fan podcast talking all things trim. Hello and uh, welcome back to another episode of the Down at Bellevue podcast. Uh, Today it's just me and Danny again, Uh, but this week we've got possibly my favourite guest we could probably get on. Uh, 188 games, 75 tries and 10 goals, which I didn't know he was a goal kicker over seven seasons. Uh, He's probably the greatest uh, captain uh, the club's had during the Super League era. Um, And I'm going to stop blowing smoke now. It's uh, Jason Donichio. How are you doing, JD?
1: Yeah, good, guys. Great introduction. happy with that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just before I go into any questions, I never knew you kicked any goals for Wakefield.
1: Yeah, I part time kicked a few, and uh, I think it was Rooney had a bit of an injury, and you know, during games, if he might have got a cork or something like that, but usually they were from the sideline, and he was all right to kick him when it was in front. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't realise I kicked ten, but yeah, I kicked a few, not not too many.
0: I was I was doing the research a couple of days ago, and I, I saw ten goals. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'd never saw Jason kick a goal. <laughs> um, so, I suppose first off, who was your sporting hero?
1: Um, I suppose I grew up obviously loving rugby league and Wayne Pearce was probably an idol of mine when I was growing up. He was almost our main supporter as a, as a kid and um, he was somebody who was coming through. He was the new era of footballer. He was fit and ate well and did all the right things. and uh, Yeah, so he was someone I definitely looked up to
0: Fair enough, that's a good answer, isn't it? Uh, how did you really get into the rugby league then?
1: Um, by chance, really, we moved into an area in Campbelltown, which is Western Sydney, which um, well, it was a rugby league field at the bottom of the hill where we lived. So, I mean, my brother just happened to wander down there and see what was going on and started training with the guys and send us home to get a burst of you getting $20, and yeah, the rest <laughs> is history. Yeah, that was when I was about six years old. So yeah, it was um, it was an area that just was huge in rugby league. You know, that's four or five divisions in every age We were up until about thirteen or fourteen. So, yeah. uh, it wasn't hard to get involved.
0: No, no. I suppose down down under as well, like Sydney, it's just rugby league mad, isn't it? I mean, we spoke to Tiarona the other day, and he was he was telling us about how the setup completely different at junior level. Um, yeah. Sort of growing up in your path into professional rugby league was a little bit different to most Australians. Um, hmm. I mean, you signed for Lancashire Lynx. And they're not even a team anymore. How did that happen? Um, well, I
1: I was playing what they call New South Wales Cup now and over here for Newtown. And then I wasn't enjoying my footy, so I went back and had a year in my local club. Um, off the back of that, I, uh, I was doing a trade as a printer. I got told to few people pointed me in the direction to go overseas. So I sent some videos over. And anyway, Les Kiss at the London Broncos wanted to sign me. He was the guy who was pretty keen to get me there. And that deal fell through at the 11th hour. And I would already told my job I was going. I would booked a flight. And so off I went. And when I landed, I didn't have a club. So the only club that had an overseas spot available was Lancashire Lynx. So, yeah, fortunately for me, that was all I needed to get myself in the shop window and um, you know, I was only there for 10 games, but I loved it. it gave me a real grounding of, the, of English football at grassroots, I suppose. And I got to play under Steve Hampson, the former Great Britain fullback. And, um, you know, he, he was running around on a Saturday morning trying to get blokes from local league to play for us on the, <laughs> the Sunday. And so, um, but, yeah, no, it was, it was a good way of getting over here. Then I ended up going to Rochdale
0: for the rest of that season. And
1: um, by the end of that season, I'd signed to Widnes.
0: Yeah, I mean, skipping over the time at Rochdale, but in terms of going to Witness, you spent three seasons there, including a a, concluded a promotion to the Super League. Um, yep. What sort of your memories from around that time?
1: Um, oh, look, I think the moment I signed at Witness, I sort of felt that that was the starting point of me getting into becoming a professional player. And um, I was working as a printer at the time as well. And I knew that I needed to get to a club that, could, had genuine aspirations of getting promoted and there wasn't many bigger than Witness at the time. Um, yeah, we had a tough start to the season. We, we're actually coming third but people call it a tough start but um, David Hume got sacked and Neil Kelly came in and brought a few people with him and we went on I think a 15, 16 game win and run and, and got promoted. That was an amazing experience uh, playing out at Rochdale in front of 11, 12,000 and um, yeah, and then going back to Witness and Four or 5,000 people at the stadium when we got promoted it was unreal. And then obviously our first game in Super League against St. Helens, who were the World Club champions at the time and back uh, backing up premiers. So get beat extra time, 15, 14 was crazy. Um, but yeah, it was, I love my time with this. It was a great period of my career, but um, I suppose I learned a lot as well that set me up for my time at Wakefield. Yeah. What, was that,
2: um, what was that jump like going from playing in the Championship with us to then go into the Super League and playing against St. Ellens at the time or one of, sort of the greatest clubs in the world?
1: Yeah, it was... It, obviously, as someone, who had, I hadn't played professional footy at the time, so I, I was going up against, you know, people that I'd been watching on TV in Australia and that had a gun side in them days and obviously in England and Great Britain International, so... Um, but the thing with us was we got promoted in July. Our grand final was the first week of July, so... But the part-time guys who got contracts in the Super League, we had a good six months, seven months of preparation leading into yeah. um, that season. I, I thought it was a great way they did it. Um, it. It allowed the team who got promoted to recruit well as well. Um, but I think yeah. we just missed out on the finals that year, which was top six. It came down to the last game. And um, I think it was uh, Wakefield beat someone, I can't remember who it was. might have been Salford. They, yeah. Um, it gave us a chance to get in but then uh, I think it was Castleford that ended up getting in ahead of us but yes. um, it was a great first couple of years
0: Yeah um, After after you sort of left Witness, you have come over to the right side of the Pennines um, yeah. and joined, joined us at Wakefield um, How did that move come about? Um, again, I was off contract
1: I um, you know, we weren't necessarily Enjoying my time at the back end. Uh, Neil, Kelly and I weren't getting on as well as I would have liked. Um, and there was opportunity from Shane McNally to come to Wakefield. Uh, he had a vision of me playing fullback, which obviously as a player, you, you say all the right things to get the contract signed. <laughs> um, and I thought I'll give it a go, but I think it lasted one game, played about 60 minutes and Lee Brews kicked me to death. So that, that was the end of my fullback career. But um yeah, it was Shane McNally who wanted me to come, and um, yeah, it was it was a great opportunity, great fit for me as well. It was, it was a club that um, was building and had some good young players, but um, had a point to prove as well. And I suppose that was the stage of my career I was at.
0: Yeah, um, so I mean, we just sort of touched on it there. You did sign as a fullback. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, the other reason I mention that is because in this, in that season you wore the number one shirt, and we made it to the playoffs that year, which was. I still remember that game against Hull even, what, 17 years later? Yeah, I remember that yeah. as well. Um, I mean, for me... Oh, yeah, uh, that sounds crazy, 17 uh,
2: Yeah, I'll I mean, <laughs> rate me 8 year and I remember being at that like game. That's so how much it sticks well, in my
0: memory. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a long time. Sorry to make you feel old. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, for us, that sort of game and, and the team that we had at that point was, was special and, and that try against witness yeah. in the last minute was, was special for, for us. Yeah. What sort of group was that like in 2004?
1: I'll, I've said it before that was easily the best team group I'd ever played in. Um, we had some outstanding young players but some great leaders but there was no hierarchy at the club. Everybody was working towards the same thing. Um, I suppose for us as well we enjoyed having um there was a lot of guys that know. Not many of us had kids. There was only, I think, Dave Solomona and Sid Domick who had kids. So everybody was sort of uh, enjoying a night out together and enjoying playing footy together. And uh, I think everyone rode us off at the start of the year, said we'd come last, and uh, I still think we should have beat Wigan and got into a prelim final. But um, look, it was an amazing year. Uh, Gareth Ellis, obviously starting out at the of his outstanding career and captained the club at twenty one and. Solomona and Dominic and uh, Tajalala had joined the club, so you know, those guys went on and made their mark at the club for sure.
0: Some serious, filthy players that you've just mentioned there, like some of, <laughs> some, some of my idols there that you've mentioned. Um, yeah. <laughs> in terms of that season, then, and I know we sort of touched on it, in terms of that Wigan game, <laughs> yeah. do you feel like we were robbed? <laughs>
1: Uh, I blame Ben Jeffries, really. I've told him this before as <laughs> well. Like it, uh, he needed to score that try and celebrate and stop looking back as if something went wrong. I honestly reckon if he celebrated it harder and just finished sell, it, the, sell it, it might have been, yeah. the, the Because it was a 50-50 call. I mean, yeah. I, I obviously biased. I think the ball went backwards, but obviously they called it a different way. But it was a bizarre game. I remember getting into the, the kickoff and no Wakey fans were in the stadium. No one could get in. Um, they'd something. Something went wrong with the turnstiles or something, and we kicked off. And then I think we were twelve 0 up, and there was about we'd walk them back to uh the for the kickoff and we'd look back, and there was thousands of Wakey supporters finally got in. going mad, so it was um, it was a bizarre game, but yeah. Yeah, just yeah, it was Wigan were our
0: nemesis that year. They beat us three times,
1: um, and that was you know, and every game went down to the wire.
0: Yeah, I mean. Like you say, it was one of those. It was 50-50, wasn't it? And I just remember, yeah. I just, even now, it still rankles on it. I still think we should have probably got to the grand final that year. We were that good. Yeah, um, we
1: we're, were playing good footy.
0: Yeah. Um, the couple of years ago, um, a couple of years later, sorry, I don't know where a couple of years ago came from, um, <laughs> 2006 uh, was another year that was quite memorable, I guess, for, for us as fans. Um. Yeah. Mainly for two fantastic wins against Castleford as well. We know, yeah. how we, we, we know how we like to beat them. Um, yeah. What was it like going to the jungle and beating them with eleven players and, and watching Monty get sent off? Um, yeah, that was
1: it. Was again a bizarre game, but um, that was a game we just couldn't lose. I think. I think if I'm right, that was that John Key's first game in charge.
0: Yeah, I think so. It, it or,
1: when they sent the I plane think,
2: over, saying don't fear, it's only Kia. Yeah,
1: because I think, I think that. Yeah, that was the start of the six game run yeah um and obviously it started with and finished with castleford that that year for john but yeah we knew we had to beat him twice if we had any chance of staying up um we were five points behind that would have give us four points on him if if we were able to beat them twice so but then yeah money obviously lost his cool but um i think <laughs> i i think i remember as well um in uh, andrew henderson tapped the ball and then wanted to go back and tap it again and I ran out of the line and smashed him anyway but and there was a big big ruckus kicked on about that and the ref was I thought they were going to send me off as well so I was happy to stay on the field but yeah it was the first game I played I think I started in the centres went on the wing and then finished at lock once yeah. Monty got sent off so it was um, yeah it was a great win I mean remember Tommy Saxton scoring a try late yeah. to seal it which was an amazing win with 11 men.
0: yeah uh, was it was it Ned Katic as well who was the other one that got sent off
1: yeah, Ned got Simbind as well, yeah. yeah. So, um, I caught up with uh, Ryan McGoldrick in, in Griffith recently. He's running on a farm out there and uh, doing quite well for himself as well. We were, we were speaking about that game because um, he was on the ground when Monty was um, throwing punches. <laughs> so, just a, a subtle reminder of that, that incident. Do uh,
0: uh, you know what? That, that year just filled me with so much joy, especially that back end. Um yeah. so you've you've played you played under a few coaches at Wakefield. We didn't really touch on it before, but Shane McNally was the one that brought you in. What was what was he like and what was Tony Smith like as coaches?
1: Um oh very different. Um Shane was obviously an experienced coach, um, and been around a long time, but he was very good at getting the boys together, uh, encouraging you to play um as a unit, play what you see and 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 express yourself on the footy field. So, you know, and at the time that suited us really well. Um, Yeah, it sort of broke down in 2005. And a big reason for that, I thought, was we lost Sid Dominic and Dave Solomona for uh, two to three months between them. And that really hurt us at the start of 2005. It probably cost Shane his job. And then Tony came in and, oh, look, Casper was, uh, let's just say as as a coach, he made a bloody good golfer. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. It was just inexperienced. I think it yeah. was. I really enjoyed Casper uh, as our assistant. He did a great job for us. But I think the head coach job came too soon for him. And yeah. um yeah, I don't. I don't think it was probably the direction the club should have gone in. And that's not to say Casper couldn't coach because he could. But head coaching is very different to yeah. assistant coaching.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, might as well just bring the other one up as well that you've played under uh, the King John. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was John like
1: oh he was great for me I, you know he, he was everything I was as a player as a coach um, real passionate um, believed in the people around him um, and turned up every day at work just ready to go en- enthusiastic and passionate like I said that's what we needed at the time we needed someone to come in and I think there was a lot of talk in the press who was going to coach us and I think John almost talked himself into the job by saying he wanted it and uh, I don't think Ted Richardson at the time could do anything but give him the job. So, um, and when he started, that's exactly how he started. He walked in and said, I mean, "We needed, we needed some direction. We were, we we're a team that was lost a little bit. We didn't know what was going on." And he came in and said, "Listen, we're going to, we need to win four from six. This is where the direction we're going in, and this is what we're going to be about." And, he just, and asked us to commit to it, and every bloke thankfully did. And but he was outstanding in building a roster as well. I mean, people forget. I still remember at the start, I think it was 2010. It might have been 2009. Um, we No, yeah, it would have been 2009, I think. We'd won um, six from our first seven. We were top of the league. Yeah. And I think it was – it might have been 10, actually, when Shane Tronk was there. Yeah, we'd have yeah, been 2010. Was, yeah. And, mate, we were playing outstanding footy. And we, were, we were in for a big season. And then, you know, we, we lose. Um, Shane Tronk went back to Australia. We sold a couple of players as well. I think Terry, um, Terry
0: Newton got in trouble. T-
1: so. Terry Newton got done for drugs, and we lost the core of our players. And Brad Drew, we got his knee fell away as well. So, but up until that point, on a shoestring budget, we he'd done a great job to build the team to where it was. So, um, you know, it was a shame John left the club the way he did. I would have liked him to stay on and, and be there for
0: a long time. But no one will ever um,
1: no. give him anything but credit for what he did during his time there.
0: I think part of like. Part of us calling him the king is purely because of that 2006 season and, and getting us out of yeah. that hole that we were in, really. I mean, when you look at the quality of that squad as well, we sort of touched on it before with Solomona and uh, young Ryan Atkins coming through as well. Uh, there were some really, really good footy players in that team and it just seemed so strange that we were down the bottom. Um,
2: yeah. I think one thing with John Cave as well is, and you can't touch it there, I think... Because of how well he did in two thousand six, people almost forget what he did after that, and how yeah. how influential he was in building, building that squad for the next few years. And I think yeah. people kind of that gets lost in because the what he did when he first came in was just so incredible. In that he came in and said we need four wins out of six, and we're going to do it, and, and we did, and it kind of everything else after that gets a bit lost.
1: But I mean, every year from that point, we were pushing to play finals. You know, there was, yeah. we were never at the bottom of the table again from, from my, in, until 2010 when I retired. But, um, you know, we, 2007, we lost Solomona, Jeffries, Korkidis. We had almost replaced them with part-time players in, yeah. folks like Blaymire and Peter Fox. And, you know, we, up until, I think, I remember we we're playing at Huddersfield in 2007, we needed to beat them to, to, to make the finals. And obviously we got beat late in the game, but I mean, that was a remarkable season as well. And, and, up until 2009, we finished fifth and and got back in the final. So it was just over a four year period. He'd done a great job, John, and yeah. um, you know I know he's he's trying to do similar things now, keeping him in touch with what he's doing over there at Bradford. He's just he's got that knack of knowing how, how to recruit, but also to get the best out of the players in the team. Yeah,
0: um, I mean, just you've just mentioned Bradford, which is kind of like a good little segue to the next one. Uh, the next. The second to last game, I think it was of that 2006 yeah. season, Bradford, and I think you know where I'm going with this. How on <laughs> earth did you get out of that in goal area? Me and Danny have talked about it, and we still don't know how you managed it. Yeah.
1: Oh, It started with pure fear when Leslie Vonacolo was chasing me. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Could have started ch-
1: <laughs> Yeah, when he's chasing you, you run pretty fast. So, um, but yeah, now nah, look, I think it was an interesting week that week because. Um, I turned up the train and I think we'd lost to St Helens in a, in a pretty tough game and fiery game out at St. Helens and Corky got sent off and Simbin and, um, you know, we, we got everything, but robbed in that on that day. And I think Castleford had beaten, uh, it might've been London at, at Cass and at the boys, we went three points behind again with two games to go. And there was a feeling of, uh, I suppose the boys just were starting to feel like that was it. We, we it was over. Um, I didn't feel that because I, I knew we'd said four from six all along. Um, and I remember saying to training boys, we've got to get our heads up. We said four from six. That's all we can focus on. You know, we, we can beat Bradford at Bradford. And they Cass had to go to Salford, which Salford at the time were in the top top six. They were playing some good footy. So we knew that that wasn't a gimme. But all week, we'd, we'd, I'd been driving that, you know, this is us. We're going to get out of this hole. And that was the, probably the more important game than the Castlewood game, I thought, because Radford were a good side at the time and we, we were going to have to play well to beat them. And Dave Solomona had tore his bicep during the week, which was kept pretty quiet. Um, and, you know, look, most players wouldn't have played. He ripped his bicep off the bone and strapped it up and played and was outstanding in that game. Um, I remember we jumped down the short side and creating a try from nothing for Ned Caddick, and yeah, it was just yeah, getting out of the in goal was, was I don't know, my contribution to keeping the morale up and, and for us to just make sure we kept fighting till the end.
0: Yeah. I mean it was it was another big play from yourself in a in a career of big plays at Wakefield really.
1: <laughs> yeah. I
0: think
2: that yeah, that, I was... that that run almost epitomized everything about those last six games. It wore all the odds were against us, but there's no way we're going down without a fight. And yeah, 100%. I, and p- people love to see that kind of thing because it just shows that everyone's fully invested and i I'm, I yeah. remember i I, I remember that game. I've i been ten at the time. I, I actually remember watching you when out of in Engole area. And yeah. and at ten year old, if I can remember that now fifteen years later that that's a that's, a, that's a, an awful
0: lot. Yeah, thanks boys. <laughs> we might as well get on to the big one then. Um after that, the 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 million pound game, it was it was done. Yeah. The, the, the first unofficial, yeah, the unofficial <laughs> one. Um, yeah. When cast took the lead early on, was there any nerves in the in the system, or was it was it kind of just right? We reset and go again.
1: Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say there was nerves, but there was certainly. I, I think they they led because of nerves. And I, I felt you know when I turned up to the game, and there was a real eerie silence. You know, there was thousands of people in <laughs> the stands. But, you know, before the game was really quiet in the change rooms, it was really quiet. I remember Monty and myself getting together and said, we need to get some music play. We need, we need to get some atmosphere because we'd got ourselves to a point where it was achievable and it was on us now. So prior to that, we had to keep fighting and we, we didn't know if we were going to be able to do it. But now we knew we can. Um, and when I thought we started quite nervous, we were quite tentative. And um, I remember Carl Halpeny getting knocked out as well. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't a great start for us, but look, I, I had no doubt that if we could get some ball, we were going to score points. Um, unfortunately for us, we ended up counting half time in the lead, and from then we were never going to get beat.
0: Yeah, no. You, once once we were in front, it just felt like we were in control of that game. Um, yeah. What was what was the what was the build up to that game like in the week before?
1: Um, yeah, it was. It was pretty enjoyable because, like I said, we'd got ourselves to a point where it was in our hands now. Um, but, you know, there was a – the Bradford game was interesting because after it, everyone was – everyone was no one wanted to celebrate. There was no, no – nothing had been achieved yet. Everyone was straight home um, and straight in recovery the next day. And, you know, normally the boys like to go and have a few beers after a game. But, no, it was, it was definitely the opposite to that. And I think, fortunately for us, we had a group of men that – um, we're prepared to do whatever it took to stay up, and I, th- I think that was probably the difference between us and Castleford. And I remember saying to the players when John took over that you need to go home and tell your wife, and your partners, and your family that leave you alone for six weeks because you're going to be entrenched in doing something that everybody's saying we can't do. And if we buy into that, we'll we'll be able to do it. Yeah, it was. It, it's a crazy one because you, you're celebrating. Um, Not coming last, (laughs) yeah. Effectively is what you're celebrating, yeah. But um, I think from where the club had been leading into that point, and that you know it looked like for all money we were gone. You know, everyone had said that. Um, So to get out of jail off, we did in the circumstances. We did was pretty special.
2: Yeah. Had you considered what would have happened if we'd lost that game? As like no. <laughs> <laughs> I think mean, I mean for for the for the English lad, you know, like it's it's a little bit different for but for yourself and some of the some of the people that come over, was it a case yeah. of you know, do I find another club here, do we go home? Is is that something that never crossed your mind or was it a case of we're not gonna lose, so it's an irrelevant thought?
1: Um I I just couldn't think that. Yeah. I just I just conditioned myself to that, that wasn't an option to me. Um the biggest thing for me was I, I wasn't going to be the, a player that played in a team that relegated Wakefield. So that just, yeah. it couldn't happen. I just, and that, and, you know, obviously I had a manager and my words to him were, you, you know, if people are talking to you, I don't want to know I, yeah. you, if, you know, but obviously you've got a family, you've got kids, yeah. there's, yeah, there's yeah, concerns yeah. there. But, you know, I, I also felt that if I played decent enough footy and the worst happened, I'd I'd be all right. But, you know, you obviously, you're going to take a pay cut because there's yeah. not many spots left. Um, yeah. But for me, I we we had to have the mindset that it's just not on our watch. We we couldn't have that, you know, I, I didn't want to be a bloke looking back in 10 years' time saying, oh, yeah, I played in that Wakefield team that got relegated. You know, so that that was probably the most thing that drove us.
0: I mean, two really big moments from that game, really, were the, the moment where you scored that, somehow ridiculous try again where you run through the entire team (laughs) Um, another another one of those moments a week later Um, and the James Evans second try where he sealed the game effectively what was was your sort of emotions around both of them moments
1: Uh, the first one obviously it was the try that put us in front so it was pretty important try in the game but um, I think my emotion took over after I scored it but Um, it was just that this this is us now we've got this you know we we needed to just get hold of the game a little bit so we could calm down and and play the way we wanted to I mean it was a scrappy play that led to me kicking the ball back and (laughs) picking it up and marching throwing it to me but um, I just remember from that point on I knew that yep you know we've got this now and I sort of felt we were playing better footy anyway from that after that first 15 minutes and um, yeah and then Obviously, the James Evans try off the bounce um, kick was, yeah, we, you know I think we are only eight points up, but it was still time, but we would never get beat from there. I remember us defending our line for a couple of sets, a few sets later, and um, the boys just – was they didn't look like score and we were just – the boys were everywhere. But I remember back after we beat – or before we played Bradford that when Castleford um, beat, I think it was London, that Brad Davis come out on Sky and said, let's go relegate Wakefield. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was pretty keen to shake his hand after the game.
0: Just, just way. Uh, the way he cast Ryman from that point is just, it's one of my favourite moments. Like, the fact that all yeah. the players used to just dig each other out all the time. Uh, oh, this, it,
1: annoys, it annoys me lately, to be honest. Like, uh, I want the boys to bring that back a bit. Seeing hearing us losing the
0: castle. But... Uh, you you and me both. Yeah, I'm fed up of it. Six years now. It's
1: only been six years. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it was interesting because we we, we'd even
1: have that out because obviously Wakefield and Cass are are neighbours and we'd see the boys out a lot and it was even even when we were out in them days it wasn't like we'd go over and hang out with the boys it was a bit of a hey going but no there was a yeah there was a definite rivalry even when we were out which was interesting but um, yeah yeah it'd be good to see the the boys buying into that a bit more I think
0: yeah uh, after that game finished what was sort of like the discussion around you staying was it quite instant because I know some of the boys had already agreed moves I think Karkidis has already agreed to move to Salford I think um, yeah what, what, for yourself was it just a case of whatever Wakefield off here, I'm going to stay
1: well I was already contracted so it didn't yeah. it, wasn't, it was not an easy one for me I had another year on the contract so um, I knew there was other blokes getting tapped up like Ben Jeffries and um, Dave Solomona, who was um, Bradford were chasing really hard. Um, you know, it, I, I still think to this, I'm pretty close with Dave that, um, you know, it was a decision he, he didn't really want to make, but he probably had to make it in terms of yeah. what was on offer for him. And um, he says even himself that the wakey days were the, the best days he had in England. And that group of players is pretty special and hard, hard to see go, but, the ones who remained were able to,
0: to bring in the next generation of players and, and with John Keir kick on, which was good. Yeah, I mean, what, you were sort of made captain again after Monty left um, in 2007 yeah. and you you made the dream team and you got nominated for the Man of Steel, which you, you're still the only player from Wakefield that's ever been nominated for the Man of Steel award, the final three. Um, yeah. sort of, do you remember that year fondly? Well, I suppose you do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do, what's, what sort of your memories from that
1: year? Um, I, I sort of reflect on that year more now as a coach than I did when I was playing. I think there's certain things that happen as a player in terms of your life off the field, your body, your physical, your physical way you're able to train and play. And there's periods in your career where you just you feel like everything's going your way. And I was yeah. my wife was pregnant about to have our second daughter. I uh, was. Love and life. We obviously got promoted. I'm not promoted, but survived the year before. So um, everything was going in the right direction. And on the field, I just I don't know. I felt like I, I was playing as good, good as I'd ever played, and I was confident every game we went into. And yeah, it was um, and there was more responsibility on me as well. Like I said, we lost Dominic Solomona, Jeffries, Gareth Ellis had left as well from the previous couple of years. So with the and and we replaced them with. Pretty much part-time players, so there was a, a real um, change in what we needed to do, and I suppose I, I would took some responsibility on that, and that probably helped me play better footy as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, you could really tell actually when when all the senior boys did leave, we'll call them senior boys, but yeah, you you were like the main man at that point. You could really yeah. tell that you were then taking that, and I think it really improved your game just from watching from the sidelines. Um, yeah, hundred percent. 2008 again another year where we pushed for the playoffs and didn't quite make it but 2009 that was another great year i think it's probably our joint greatest finish that we've ever had in super league yeah um what's what's lot of memories do you have of that year
1: um again good footy team there's a couple of blokes that joined the club that year that uh james stozik was outstanding for us um in the front row and um Look, the the biggest thing for me was that we were uh, was uh, was in the after the off season we lost Adam Routine. Um, and then you know it was it was a year for me. I wore his number. Um, and look, if I look back now when I'm hobbling around because my knees busted, that um, I probably pushed myself to play in, at, at, where I shouldn't have, but um, I don't regret it. It was yeah. it was a, a year that I had to represent. Adam and his family and I thought the whole club did a did a great job in doing that and ironically we had our best finish as well the only disappointing thing about that year was the finals like I th- yeah. thought we were poor we'd earned, a way, earned ourselves a home final and the start of the game was, was rubbish you know I'm still filthy about that 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 and the yeah.
0: Challenge Cup sem- semi-final were two of my me worst memories
2: Yeah, that, was, I'm, that was. I'm, yeah. I'm
0: still annoyed about that <laughs> Challenge Cup final I'm still annoyed about yeah. that <laughs> But that, that was a difficult few months for the club, really, as well, wasn't it? Because, like you mentioned, there was Adam sadly passing away and there was, I think, Topless as well had died around that time. Topless as
1: well, yeah. And,
0: uh, and then the young lad, Liam... Uh, the Leon, young kid. Liam yeah. Walker, wasn't it? So, Walker, but, wasn't
1: it? Yeah. He yeah, passed away so, as well, yeah.
0: Was Topless it, was,
1: was my c- manager as well, so... Yeah, was it? <laughs>
0: um,
1: yeah, champion wow. fella. Um, yeah, he was really big in helping me settle so into Wakefield and... Um, yes yeah, so I was and that was a shock as well because the top I was so fit so no one was really expecting it but mm. yeah, yeah, yeah and then you know Sam Obbs played in the game coming back from injury that Leon passed away in as well so there was um, yeah it was a tough year but again as we've done in previous years when the chips are down and adversity was against us the club and and its supporters come together and we achieved some pretty special things
0: yeah yeah. Sort of going back to that playoff game, and I know you said you felt pretty filthy about that, but do you feel like we would have had a chance at going all the way that year? Because I, I certainly felt like we were one of the better sides that year.
1: Yeah, well, I think um, it was Catalan end up going almost to the grand final, didn't they? And they were been pretty ordinary during the year. And um, I just felt, that, you know, as a coach now, I look back on that and that we didn't get ourselves in the right. Mindset to start the game, and um, I probably thought we felt we we were looking ahead to the next round before we got the job done against Catalan. I think we were 24-26 nil down, and ended coming coming back. You know, the game goes for another ten minutes, we probably win, but we just gave ourselves too much to do. And with well, a disappointing thing was we fought so hard to make the finals, but not only make the finals, get our first finals game at Wakefield, mm. at Bellevue, and you know we were probably tossed up our worst forty minutes of the year. That's footy, I suppose.
0: What <laughs> What was it like playing in front of a full Bellevue crowd?
1: Um, yeah. Oh, the the best one was obviously the survival game, the million pound game. That I mean, that was the only time I played where it was completely packed, and there was a few big games against the Leaves where the crowd was pretty big as well. But oh, it's for me the fate my favorite place to play. Um, the the noise that comes from the stand and terrace. I think it's probably better now without end terracing as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and, and everyone's so close. You can hear every every kid, every lady, every bloke in the opposition who's bagging you. So it's um, yeah, it's a special place. And the other thing is, Bathy does a great job with the field. The surface is always immaculate at Bellevue, um, you know. And everyone complains about the change rooms, but you don't play footy in the change rooms, so it never bothered me.
2: <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you prefer the old style grounds like Bellevue as opposed to more not? Say, well, is it more modern stadiums where it's a bit more like a football stadium
1: feel? Um, yeah, for the smaller crowds, yeah, I think you know, like when the Doncaster game in the Challenge Cup semi-final was outstanding as well. <clears throat> that was the, and from a Wakefield point of view, I remember coming out to the warm up of that, and that was obviously a brand new stadium, yeah. twenty thousand odd in in their sellout and to come down to that end where half, half the f- side was Wakefield and the, the noise that come from that end of the field is probably one of the few times in, in a Wakefield shirt where I just had goosebumps and was looking around like, wow, this is, you know. I and mean, I think it was the year where, if we win, we f- first game back at the new Wembley. So, yeah, yeah can, I'm not holding on any disappointment, am I? so.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I don't want to blame anyone in particular, but I'm still not over Matt Peterson dropping them balls on the wing. I'm still oh. not over that. <laughs> well,
1: it's, it's probably it's probably not good for me to go down
0: that. <laughs> no, no. It's, I mean, it's well, not I was me, filthy but...
1: because not only did he drop him, but then he put his hand up to go off with a sore shoulder, which meant I had to go on the wing, which I had less impact on the game. So I was filthy on a number of reasons, but. Um, and I'd come back from that year, I'd done my neck and people were saying I was done, I would have to retire and um, I was back in nine weeks from supposed to be out for six months and so I was, you know, to play in that game. I, I do remember, though, meeting at Bellevue. We met before we got on the game and on the bus and um, John did an exercise where we all spoke about what it would mean to get to Wembley and it was probably the most emotional Uh, meeting, team meeting I've been involved in. Um, And when I look back now, I I think it was probably too emotional. Um, And it was probably something that I loved it, but it was probably something we should have done the day before Um, instead of getting to the game. Because we were poor the first 20 minutes. We were like deer in headlights and it was 18-0 down
0: after 12 minutes or something. But again, come back and almost got the job done. Yeah, it was close that one. Um, so at the back end of the back end of twenty ten, uh, you you eventually retired from uh, playing full time. You yep. left to leave the club after so long. Do you sort of look back on it? I suppose you look back on it fondness of as we've already mentioned. But do you sort of understand the sort of regard that you held him?
1: Um, I, I probably didn't at the time. I do more so now, definitely. Um, as you said, I'm you know I'm still contacted, and um, you know people often put messages on social media, or Twitter, and things like that about games and things that happened in the past during my time at Wakefield, and that make you realise the impact you had at the club. Um, I was sort of filthy. I was leaving, to be honest. I wanted to stay, and I would love to start my coaching journey there. But to be honest, it was probably the right thing for me to do. I, I needed to probably go and, and do that on my own two feet, and um, and I've watched players move into assistant roles as over here and at the same club, and I think the best thing to do is to move away. But um, yeah, it was yeah. Look, if I'm in the ideal scenario, would be one day I'll be back. You know, that's uh, that's I what I, to to, that's, I <laughs> you know, Yeah, so I've just got to get my kids old enough to be adults, and then I am to leave yeah. them behind.
0: So,
1: um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Maybe. that's I mean that, that would be a, a, a dream job for me in the future yeah. for sure.
0: You still get idiots like us two contacting you, pestering you, striking you. <laughs> <laughs> it's all
1: good, it's all good.
2: Yeah, what we'll do is now is we've sort of touched on your playing career. We'll go through a bit more of the informal questions. We'll talk about some of your ex-teammates. So I've got a few quick five yeah. questions. Feel free to branch out into any stories that you were uh, yep. quite funny. So first one, we'll start you off nice and easy. Um, who's the most skilled player you've ever played on side? Oh
1: Solomona, easy. Yeah. Um, and he he could do things that he didn't even show on the field because he was too humble. Um, <laughs> you know he, he'd do things in training. I remember him train and he'd do it all the time. He'd drop the ball to the back of his leg on the back of his legs and he'll kick it and chip it over the top and over the defense and get the bounce and he did it every time. And I used to say to him, "Why don't you do that on the field?" And he said, "Oh, no, no." Because it, if it goes wrong, I'll cop a bagging, And say, nah, I said, nah, mate, if it goes right, it's going to be on a whole lot real for the rest of your life. But, um, yeah, he, I mean, he could do things with the footy that not many people could do. I mean, you just, when he got the ball, I, I talk a bit about it over here. There's players in the NRL and that when they get the ball, the whole crowd sits up, you know, and Solomona had that for sure. And, um, you know, that he was tough as well. So it was, he had the skill yeah. level, but he backed it up with some toughness as well.
2: Yeah, he was a special player. Yeah. One night I always used to love watching. Um, I'm gonna start I'm going to go a bit downhill from here. So it was the biggest moan of have training. It was the one complaining, feeling a bit sore, feeling sorry for himself.
1: I'm oh, Bruffy for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bruffy. Uh, he'd, he'd find a way to, to moan about training. Or um, it's Bruffy could, He'd come in, have two pints, and turn up and play every weekend. That's that would be that'd be an ideal trainer for, for him but um you know that when he trained he trained hard but yeah he, uh, there was him there was uh was most boys were pretty good. There wasn't in terms of training that um uh yeah oh, Semi Tajalala was the worst trainer we had, that's for sure. <laughs> um he he always finished the session, but it might have always been half an hour after everybody else had finished, but he was he was always doing it. <laughs> Um, but again, you get him on the field and you do 20 carries and yeah, you know, for a lead from the front. So it was, yeah, uh,
2: this, this be diff- This be different, this because every time I've asked this question, the answer has been Kyle Wood. Obviously, you won't play with Kyle Wood, so we'll have a different answer here. So, who's the most yeah. likely to bust some moves on a night out?
1: Well, well, we we had a few actually. Because I don't know if you remember, but I had a testimonial night, we had a ladies' night. It wasn't yep. hard getting boys to put their hand up to do that. I have to say there was uh, there was uh, there was plenty of You know, normally you're trying to beg people to do it. But I think we had about a dozen of us that did it. Um, Luke George was, was a pretty outstanding dancer. Um, he was yeah he, he he could bust a move to leader. Leo R did didn't mind dancing a bit as well, but usually he, he needed ten vodkas before he got going. But <laughs> he used to dance,
2: um, he used to dance on the field sometimes those sidesteps. <laughs> so yeah, side steps. Yeah, yeah, he
1: was he was pretty good, and um, yeah, but yeah, definitely Luke George. He was he was a freak on the dance floor. That's a name <laughs> I've not heard for absolutely no, yeah. he's actually living in Cairns now, I think, or in, in in North Queensland. Yeah, he, he came over and played at the Northern Pride when I was. Um, not just before I'd left, I'd signed him to come over, but then I'd obviously got the job at the Cowboys, so I'd yeah. moved on before I coached him. But yeah, him and Sam Obst and Semitajalala all up around that area. <laughs> wow. Um, who's got the worst fashion sense? Oh, Justin Ryder. I don't know if many people remember. <laughs> the yeah. Night Rider? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, just about. <laughs> yeah, he came over, he still had the corduroys on. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he was, he, he, was a, he was pretty funny because the boys used to bag him all the time. Um, and then he came in one day with a whole new wardrobe. He said his missus had took him out and, um, and took him shopping and made him get a new wardrobe because the boys had bagged him so much and come home from training every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, yeah, he was uh, – yeah, hey, there was a few boys who thought they had the dress sense, that's for sure. Daryl Griffin thought he was a model. The teapot, honestly. <laughs> teapot. He just, uh, the, teapot. Yeah, the teapot. He hates that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: he hates like that. Yeah, <laughs> he, used to, he used to get used to the He used to all the time. After, I think after you would left, uh, it, even then, like early two twenty yeah. tens, and he, he yeah. used to used to have worlders against us because he we was that annoyed that we were calling <laughs> him teapot. Yeah, he got a, a bad rap from the Wakefield supporters, which I didn't necessarily think was
1: fair because he, he, but he, the teapot call was one of my favorites. I loved it. <laughs> and uh, he, he hated it when I called him the teapot as well.
2: <laughs> I imagine the to this next one's going to be uh, one of the Wakefields, one of the Yorkshire lads, but who uh, was the tightest? Who was the one not getting around him?
1: Oh, who's the tightest? Yeah, Ben Jeffries was pretty tight. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who the tightest who was. Um I tell you, I go back to Justin Ryder as well. We used to have there was a cafe used to be down the road um, from, from Bellevue. We used to go for breakfast most mornings or, or brunch as it was after weights. And um Justin Ryder used to stand in there and he never had any money and he'd just stand there while everyone's <laughs> ordering their food. And then you'd end up going, Rods, you want me to get you something to eat? He's missing out. him that hard on a shoestring budget that he couldn't even afford food every day. It was like, um, yeah, I don't, yeah, but most of them are pretty good. Uh, I don't think there was, I can't remember too many of them being too tight.
2: Hmm. That must have changed to these days, I think. <laughs> must, be, must be my yeah. way. Yeah. Be my work. Seen these days. Um, who were the teammate that you'd uh, least like to run at during join a game? When he, one of one of something that you played alongside that you didn't want to kind of run a face
1: on the other team. Um, oh, there's a few. I think uh, Olivia Alama was one. Um, a big Ollie, yeah. If he caught yeah. uh, you and you know he, he was trying to hurt you, um, Gareth Ellis in the early days as well. I mean, I remember playing against Bradford. I think it was 2004 at Bradford. Better drop out and Gaz was playing at five eight then, and uh, well, stand off and. Um, we dropped it out, and big Paul Anderson was coming off the back fence. And I thought I was standing next to Gareth, thinking, Gee whiz, I hope you get in front of him.
0: Um, but yeah, and he absolutely
1: just, la- he just launched his body into people. Um, I wasn't surprised that he, he retired a bit earlier than, than some thought. Mind you, he's had more comebacks than Lazarus Gaz, hasn't he? So, yeah, yeah, um, really? but yeah, he's uh, he was he was a phenomenal talent, um, so aggressive, and big Ollie was as well. And Dave Solomon when he wanted to as well, would. Do some damage as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. That, that, that doesn't spread about Gareth Ellis, like I say. It's when you think about it now, it's amazing that he's uh he's managed to come back so many times, given yeah. what he put his body
1: the, through. But it says a lot the about thing it, gazes, yeah, the thing with Gaz is the thing with Gaz is he hit you hard. Not you know not just once. Like every tackle was aggressive. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't like a oh the the odd shot here and there. Every tackle he did was was he was trying to hit you as hard as he could. So. Um, but, yeah, it was no surprise to see him coming out and do so well in Australia. And I know people out here speak really fondly of how good a player he was when he was here.
2: Yeah, I think, I think even, even when he came back out of retirement for Hull, the transformation in that, that when he first came out was unbelievable. A lot of people yeah. kind of kind of saw it as, oh, they're desperate for players, he's not going to do all. But he just transformed. And it was not even necessarily what we were doing with the ball. It's the, the leadership he brings. So we like yeah. to claim uh, we like to claim him as one of his own out at the academy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, he is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, who was the worst person to sit next to on a coat strip?
1: Um, yeah, well, there's two um, for different reasons. Dave Solomona, because he would just pestle you with his ru- rubbish jokes. He, he, <laughs> he, he named himself as the number one comedian in the club. Um but it wasn't necessarily the case, but he, he claimed it. And then Kevin Henderson would be the other one. Cause if Kevin, he, we used to call him the washing machine. Cause when he ate food, went everywhere. Like, it was just, <laughs> it's it like watching a, a group of warthogs chowing down something in, in mud. You know, it was, and if he was sat next to you, you got a share of whatever he was eating. So, um, but yeah, great blokes. Big Kev, I yeah. haven't seen Big Kev for a while. I know he's settled down in, in Australia, but yeah, he was no one wanted to sit next to Kev when we were travelling.
2: It <laughs> was the it uh, was the teacher's petting training. It was the one getting a bit close to the coach.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sure the boys would say me, no doubt. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Obsty was probably uh, Sam. Obst was probably up yeah. there. Um, oh, Marchy definitely, Paul March. Yeah, Paul March was, yeah. If, if people forget March. He was a great player for the club. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but so I underrated. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I go the, da, David was good.
0: I, I go in, I go in the, same pub as, uh, well, the same club as his dad and he's got a shirt on the wall and it's half yeah. uh, Huddersfield and half Wakefield. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want to wear one or the other when they were playing each other so he made that half and half one specifically for I him. I remember that, yeah. I do remember him <laughs> doing that. Uh, well I ended up having Paul play for
1: me at um, Keithley in my last yeah. year before I came back to Australia. So he's um, and he he came back and played at Wakefield um, before I finished as well. I think it was it might have been two thousand and nine, I think, or uh, I can't yeah. remember.
0: Yeah, I think it
1: was. Yeah, he came back and had a year. But David was so underrated, I, I thought as a player. He was um, you know, he was our starting nine every week. He played big minutes. Um, you know, and, and the combination of him and Obsty worked really well for us.
2: Yeah. Who was the uh, most likely to be checking himself out in the mirror before the uh, before he gone to the pitch, Make sure the ray is just, just just on point?
1: Oh, again, Daryl Griffin was up there. Um, <laughs> Ro- Rooney definitely as well. He was, Rooney was one of the blokes who the last thing he did before he went on the field was go to the mirror in the toilets and just put some water in and straighten his hair. Um, <laughs> And the, the irony of Daryl Griffin is he ended up having no hair, um, so which was interesting. And then um, yeah, Colin Holpen, he was hilarious because <laughs> Cole was going bald and he was real paranoid about it. So he used to he used to came over like that all the yeah. time over the, over <laughs> his bald spot. He's, he scored a, a great try at Wigan. Uh, I think it was about two thousand. might have been two thousand six, two thousand five. Great, it was a great try. Anyway, um as soon as he, as he's walking back the script, the cameras are opposite up, up high at Wigan looking down and and he's doing that cuz he's paranoid about the, the camera <laughs> seeing the, the cameras top of him. his head. <laughs> yeah. So it's um but yeah oh, look, the boys love their hair. I say that these <laughs> days as well like, cuz over there there's you know when we were playing there was two games, three games on TV every week so you knew when you had a TV games everyone had a fresh haircut.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're not—they're not doing that this days over here. <laughs> There's some no. uh, some great haircuts kicking about at the minute. Uh, and final one, what's the uh, the best Mad Monday outfit you've seen?
1: Oh, um, Julian Rinaldi came as the guy from Hangover. You know, the the guy with the beard who carried <laughs> the, the baby in front of him. Oh, he, I, I wish I had a photo of it. He was it—he was a dead set spitting image of the guy from Hangover. <laughs> and he and he kept that outfit on for till midnight he walked around with his baby hanging off his not that I saw him at midnight I was usually passed out in bed by mid afternoon but um yeah we had some we had some good ones the boys got got stuck into their mad monday outfits we get down and do the Westgate run was it yeah it was called yeah. that wasn't it Westgate run yeah I, I was I was happy if I made it into town <laughs>
0: Um, sort of going past the, uh, the your playing career and going into coaching, you had a couple of years at Keithley, which which went really yep. well for you. Um, and there was also the, the period where you moved back home to the Northern Pride, which again, you were just a success straight away. At. Um, you've already kind of answered it about your dream job, but is has there ever been any offers to come back to Super League already? Or...
1: Yeah, I had a bit of interest uh, and there was... Um... Interest for me to come to St Helens when I mean, Holbrook obviously left, um, but obviously I, I'm, I'm down that path now with with the Rabbitohs and yeah. um, obviously at the time you know that was the the transition that the club was looking at. So um, look, you know the, the to get the opportunity to coach South Sydney and, and starting from next year as a head coach is uh, it's still mind boggling to me that yeah. you know I've come back as an unknown from England to Australia and, and, you know, within that eight years worked my way up to, to get this great opportunity at such a massive club and I can't wait, but it wouldn't be yeah. possible without, you know, the, the grounding that i got at a club like Keithley. Um, I remember going from a job interview there and the, the club had been to administration and there was no power, the heating had been cut off. Um, and we were sat in, in December in a, in a freezing clubhouse with candles there was no power, <laughs> and they said the job's yours. You got no money, and that the, the the team's already signed. So what do you do? You want it? I said, oh. I, said I guess I'm going to have to play again. But oh, I loved it there <laughs> to go back and again the way I started my journey in England to go back and finish it that way was was pretty special and something that yeah. has definitely led me into the career I've had down
0: here. Yeah, um, yeah. Suppose. You took all your mates as well with you to Keithley, didn't you, in the end? There were a fair Did, few ex yes. uh, yeah, yeah. boys at that team.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, things happen like it, sometimes
1: it's opportunity happens yeah. and circumstances fall in your hand. I mean, Sam Obst was getting messed around at uh, Hull FC and ended up getting paid out, and that sort of fell into my hands as well. And then Corky was sort of finished his Super League journey, but his wife wasn't ready to go back to Australia at the time. So that worked out and then Sammy had sort of gone to union and that wasn't working out. And so it was crazy how it, it all happened. But then obviously Paul March ended up coming on board as well. a Pretty good team in that year. Yeah. Um, and we lost yeah. two or three players mid year. If we had kept them, I think we'd have gone close to winning that as well. But
0: yeah.
1: um, you know, that's unfortunate what happens when you're a club like Keithy, you, you need to keep your best 17 on the field or it can get difficult.
0: <laughs> um, you already mentioned working your way through the NRL system. Um, you were the assistant coach at, at Queensland when they won the the uh, the championship. How was how was that as a feeling?
1: Oh, that was unbelievable. Um, <coughs> not my first year as an assistant coach in the NRL, and you know we probably win the greatest grand final the country's seen. In. Is is that it's the one? Probably... Is that
0: the one where uh, is it Ben Hunt missed missed the kick or off first? No, he, he drops
1: at... drops a kick off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, first, I missed the goal kick that took us extra time, but we scored the try with four or five seconds left on the clock. Um, you know, it was just a crazy game of footy. Eighty thousand people. I mean, I, we were in North Queensland, and the we, we'd go to leave to go to the airport to go down to Sydney. There was probably five thousand people on the streets in the airport, in us. <laughs> and then, you know, when we came back, there was probably 10,000 people at the airport and probably that again at the ground. It was just unbelievable week. But the game itself was, I mean, even now they talk about it as the best grand final we've seen in, in a long time. Yeah, Probably since 89 grand final when Canberra beat the Tigers.
0: It's, it's definitely a memorable one. Like, I mean, we don't get much NRL over here. Well, we do at the minute, but yeah. even then, like... It was one that I still remember now, seeing Thurston take his scrum out off and throw it about, and,
1: yeah, and yeah. dropping
0: the ball. It's a fantastic grand final to watch. Um, you you obviously went on to St George after that, and now you found yourself at, at Sydney, as you mentioned, with with the career path. You you're working under arguably probably the greatest coach of all time. Um, how yeah. is it? How is it to work under someone like Wayne Bennett?
1: Um, it's it's daunting at first, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wayne has a, a bit of a prestige about him and, you know, you, but he's very good at putting you at ease and making you feel that you've, he, he's got you at the club for a reason and he wants yeah. you to express yourself and, and do your job. And it, pretty quickly you realise why he's been doing what he's been doing for as long as he has. You know, he's uh, very good at giving the not only the players, but his staff the freedom to, to do what, they, what, what he wants them to do. Um, you know, he's not a micromanager. Um, but at the same time, he he knows what he wants and he gets that message across really well. Sorry. Um, so yeah, it's been a look to say I've worked under probably the greatest sporting coach in Australia, let alone a rugby league coach. Yeah. You know, it's been a dream for the last few years, and it's set me up well to have a crack next year. Yeah,
0: I mean, just one couple of other questions before you go. Um, how does John Kier compare to Wayne Bennett in terms of their approach? <laughs> Um, they're not too
1: dissimilar. Um, Wayne's, I mean, John's probably a bit more of a micromanager than Wayne is, and he you know, yeah. he's, um, has a bit more anxiety than Wayne does, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> the but the thinkers. Yeah, but again, passionate, uh, wants players to, believes in his players, wants them to be the best they can be, um, gives them the freedom to do that as well. Um, but look, I think, you know, what, John does at a club like Wakefield compared to what Wayne does at a club like Brisbane or South Sydney in terms of resources and talent pool that you're picking from, you know, it's, it's very different. Um, you know, it'd be great to see a coach like Wayne go and coach a team like Wakefield or a Castleford and, well. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. You know, look, I, I think John would do well in the NRL as a head coach. Um, he'd surround himself with good assistants, um, but he's at the end of the day, John's best attribute is motivating you to play. He, want, yeah. he, he gets that out of you and I think that's what the best coaches can do.
0: Do you feel like you've worked under some coaches that you can pull a lot from going into being a head coach? You know, the, the, Like you say, the aspects from John and the aspects from even Shane McNally uh, and, and Wayne Bennett?
1: Yeah, for sure. Without a doubt. I mean, you learn as much from the the good coaches as you do from the ones that made mistakes. Um, You know, I'm probably someone who learns from what not to do more than I do from um, what to do. So, um, But also, you know, i was fortunate to be a head coach for five years on my own. I learned a lot during that. And when I left the Cowboys after we won the green final because I felt I still needed to do more time as a head coach. Um, And, you know, I went to the Dragons and coached in the New South Wales Cup which at the time everybody thought was a strange decision. But again, it was the best decision I made because I got to coach my own team. We were fortunate to win a premiership and the state championship again. Um, and, you know, like I, you can't get head coach experience by being an assistant. Um, and I think that's probably something that I say to young coaches, get out there and coach your own team and learn from your own mistakes. Um, but there's been some you know, examples of things under pressure that, You know, I thought Shane in 2005 probably succumbed to the pressure a bit and and his relationship at board level and the club broke down and that's, you know, things I reflect back on now that's important to make sure you keep that stuff going right. Um, You know, things like that you you look back on, you learn from for sure. Yeah.
0: I suppose we'll sort of... End it here. Um, you've kind of already mentioned that you want to come back to Wakefield, so I won't. I won't try and get that quote from you again. Um, <laughs> what's your favourite memory from playing at Bellevue? What's your, What's your favourite Bellevue memory?
1: Um, it's It's hard to say because you know, like I said, we played one hundred and eighty odd games there, so it's It's hard to pinpoint one. For me, it's the journey. Like the whole time I was there is the highlight. Yeah. um it's made me who I am. Um, it's given me the opportunities that I have now um and it's given me the confidence as a player and now as a coach to to stand on my own two feet in in sometimes in what's a brutal world in coaching and um, to learn what I did at a club like Wakefield was special you know and, but uh, I don't think people appreciate how hard it is um you know I certainly do now. Looking at the other side of it, the clubs that have all the money, and I think I, I tell people over here that they don't understand what When you're at a club like Wakefield and you salary cap, and they can't even spend the salary cap. You know, if we were on average spending thirty percent below the cap, the years I was there, you know, and every time we get a good team, people would come and take our players. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. So it's you know, it's more the journey than any one moment. But obviously, the two thousand and four. Um, finals win against Hull was, you know, it was magic because of what people had said where, where we're going to come. And not only how we had, I think we had two sin bins in that game as well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, for me, it, as, a, as a successful story, that was probably the best year we had.
0: I mean, that is probably going to be my favourite interview that we've ever done, Dan. Um, <laughs>
2: yeah, I can't argue that. I think one thing as well... <laughs> I think, especially our age group, I think if there's any one player in even the older age groups that you sort of think about from in that, in that time period, it's absolutely always Jason Demetriou. And no matter who you ask or, you know, at what age, but you'll not find anyone that has a bad word to say about Jason Demetriou. And I think that says a lot about your time at the club. And I know for me, you were my boyhood, boyhood hero in league growing up and oh, when I took the pitch,
1: that yeah. were you were the kind of guy that I wanted to be like. Oh, thank you. That's Again, that's, you know, as at the end of your career, they're, they're the things that mean the most to you. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not all the things that come on when you're playing. It's the legacy you leave behind. And, um, you know, I'm, like I said, honoured and proud to, to be thought of that way. So, I appreciate it, guys.
0: No, it's, it's, our, it's our pleasure, mate. Um, cheers for coming on. Thank you for giving your time up uh, this morning. We know our, you're a fairly busy bloke at the minute. So, um, no, good. yeah, it's really appreciated. And uh, again, thank you for giving us that time.
1: No worries. Cheers, guys. Appreciate it.